Hello, 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 everybody. Happy Friday. Uh, I hope you had a good week. It's a saying it was a crazy week in the market to be pretty much of a huge understatement, wouldn't it? It's been a, what a week, but uh, as usual, those who were patient and calm uh, probably didn't do too badly this week, and those who freaked out and panicked and sold and did whatever else, um, I think are probably regretting it, given the way everything's come back. Um, even today, uh, same things seem to happen. So uh, I guess we maybe we get, in, get into that a little bit later. Um, there's a couple questions this week, and um, someone had asked me, we uh, talked about last time about doing some of these post-mortems on investments. Uh, we did a positive one last week about um, American capital that we ended up making 450% or so on. And uh, so then I had asked for uh, suggestions on a loser. <clears throat> so I, don't, I just don't want to make this all about, you know, oh, remember this great investment, remember that great investment. You know, we all know we have good ones and bad ones, so we should talk about the bad ones too because you learn a lot from the bad ones. Um, I think you learn more from the bad ones than the good ones. So if you're honest about why you lost money on it, that kind of thing. So so we're going to, the first request I got was American Apparel. Uh, so that was an investment we made in <clears throat> 2014. And uh, we'll go through that today because that was kind of a, a wild ride for a little while. Um, we ended up doing very poorly in it. Uh, and the, the worst part about that was we could have done really well in it. <laughs> so... Uh, but I'll get to that later. So let's talk about, let's do the, the questions first. Uh, TPL conversion. Like you, I'm not an expert in trust conversions, but I would imagine as part of the process, historical financial statements would need to be disclosed, which the current trustees may not want publicized. True. Regardless, two questions I'd like to get your thoughts. One, if they do convert to C-Corp, do you know if new common shares would be issued? Or if the shares investors hold now continue to be held after the conversion? I know that sounds like the GSC questions you've addressed. Uh, so I'll answer the first question right now. Uh, no, they wouldn't have to issue new common shares. Um, the common shares are listed on the stock exchange. Uh, th- it happens often. You know, right, you remember uh, a few few years ago, Kinder Morgan and Williams converted from MLPs to C corps, and the number of shares don't change. There's no need to issue new shares uh, of the stock if you make a corporate structure change like that. Uh, do you think the value of the conversion will be in some tangible increase? Do, do you think the value of the conversion will be in some tangible increase in asset value, i.e., tax benefits or spin-off water business that will increase a company's value up front, or is the benefit tangible but more long-term that the company will be run under an up-to-date governance structure and disclose requirements so investors will get more detail in the future? So, if they convert to a C-Corp, I don't know the requirements of how far back they'd have to redo the financials, but I'm more than a little sure uh, Horizon is going to want to uh, republish some older financials. Uh, The whole point of the conversion to the C-Corp, you know, there's a million different ways they could do this, and it's been claimed that one of the reasons they haven't done it so far was that there would be a tax implication, a negative one. Uh, to the conversion, um, but there's been others that have argued that that wouldn't be the case. And I think, like anything else in life, it's how they structure it and what they do. You know, could part of that be spinning off the water business to shareholders? 
I don't know. Um, I don't think that would be done immediately. Uh, the simple reason is that it's almost impossible to value with no financials out there on it, right? There's, there's only, the only thing you get from it is revenue. We don't know the profits. You know, it's, it, we don't know anything. So, you know, valuing that in a spinoff or IPOing it with shareholders owning 50% and spending the 50%, it's, it, would take, it would take very long um, to do and to accomplish. So I don't think that would happen right away. But I do think that if there was a conversion to the C-Corp, I think the benefits would be rel- realized relatively quickly. Um, not obviously full benefits, but, you know, right now, no one follows the company. No analysts follow it. There's no earnings calls. There's nothing. So converting to a C-Corp with all the additional disclosures would instantly give the company more visibility, right? And instantly give people a better foundation. You know, no analyst at Citibank is going to travel down to Texas and look at Landy's and, and they're just not going to do it. So, you know, the company, the valuation of the company, you know, is even like, you know, what I'm doing here is I'm saying, you know, well, these, these are selling for this, these are selling for that, and they're pumping this much oil. And so this is, you know, should be valued similarly to this. And given the acres you have, this is why it's so undervalued. You know, if you had, you know, in, you know, you start with the basics, inco- income and expenses. We don't even have that right now. So, you know, just the disclosure alone would allow a much deeper dive into the company, a much better ability to evaluate the company. And honestly, I think we're pretty confident that there's a lot of money being wasted, you know, and there's a reason expenses aren't being disclosed by the trustees, right? I mean, that, that's what I, my opinion is that, you know, you don't disclose expenses because you don't want them known. So if that's the case, then we can assume they're probably ridiculous. When if you were going to compare them to peers or compare them to others in the industry, their, their, their expenses are probably outrageous. So that would come under assault. They'd have to lower the expenses. They'd be more efficient. That would raise profits, raise the stock price. So, and, and honestly, just the it would allow people to look at the company and say, wow, there's massive potential here. There's so much more they could do. There's so much more they could be doing. The water business is doing really well, but maybe it's grossly mismanaged and it could be doing so much better. Again, we don't know, but you know, it, typically when there's non-disclosure about something, there's a decent reason for it. So, so I, I think that, you know, I think the, um, uh, we'd feel some effects right away. And then obviously over time, um, if you started having earnings calls where analysts could ask questions um, and get answers about the potential of the area, I think then you see you know, a longer term, another uplift in the stock price. So um, thoughts on CHK and trying to be patient, which is a difficult this week. Are you still standing with a longer term positive view? Dipping below $2 per share always heightens bankruptcy risk. Have you seen anything in the information which will indicate the relationship with banks? They may not be in default yet, but the lending environment is different than you have described for GGP back in 2008. If you just look at inception day stock price charts, pretty scary. And if you look at this, you'd think the company's winding up. The other view, people are very fearful right now in the stock price of 150 so now it's time to buy. The stock price that low, do you think a takeover is more likely? A uh, bunch of questions there. So yes, longer term, I still think it's going to be a winner. 
Okay. If the second I changed my mind, I would sell it. Um, have you seen anything information would indicate their relationship with the banks? You know, they in Q2, they just restructured to $1.5 billion in debt. So that was just in Q2. Uh, it was coming due um, either late this year or early next year, and they extended it out to 2026. So that tells me that the banks are willing to work with Chesapeake. Um, you know, the bank wouldn't have done that if they thought something was imminent. So um, they worked with them there. Uh, you know, Chesapeake has a total of $600 million in debt coming due over the next two years. This is 20 and 21. There's no more debt coming due in 2019. So for the next two and a half years, they have $600 million in debt coming due. Um, I don't think they'll have any problem rolling that or doing something with that if they need to. Um, you know, it's, I have, I have no doubt that they'll be able to do that. Um, the inception of stock price. See that, see, now that's one, you have to be careful with that, right? Because the stock price chart just shows the stock price. It doesn't show shares outstanding. Remember, there's a big dilution when they bought Wild Horse. They paid mostly stock for Wild Horse, okay? So you, what you need to look at is a market cap chart, all right? And the company today, I think, is trading at a market cap of, let me look at it real quick, um, roughly $2 billion, maybe a little under $2 billion. Well, in 2006, they're at $1.3 billion, actually $1.06 billion. So the company is, while the stock price is lower because of the dilution of shares that have been issued for the acquisition, the market cap of the company is almost twice what it was in February 2016. So, you know, you kind of have to, Every, you got to be careful with the whole absolute number of things and um, just looking at it and saying, oh, this is this is what this is and this is lousy. Yeah, I mean, it's not great what the stock price has done. I'm not going to pretend it's not. But the market cap of the company has been far lower in the past. So, um, and, you know, it's, they have, you know, they're, their, their oil operations are cash flow positive. It's the gas operations that are killing them right now, and it's the debt. Um, I am of the opinion that um, they've all but just about stopped drilling in the Haynesville. Uh, the economics of it just aren't that great at prices low. Um, you know, like the, they said that they could still drill there and make money, um, but you only have so much cash to invest. So they're rather than make a little money in the Haynesville. They want to put this towards the Texas oil assets they just got and make a hell of a lot more money, the uh, uh, Bezos assets. Uh, they're going to make a lot more money there. Cash flow positive, free cash flow positive in that oil patch. So, you know, why struggle with, with gas when you still got operations in the Marcellus Shell, which is the cheapest natural gas in the U.S. and probably the world to drill for, you know, why, why put money in the Hainesville? So they're, they're just shifting their space. You know, they're going to increase their oil production uh, next year from 25% to 35% of total production. And um, gas is going to stay roughly flat or maybe decline a little. And given the economics of the two, 
that's a wise choice. You know, why why do it? They're still going to be pumping a hell of a lot of natural gas in the Marcellus Shale. But the Hainesville, they're going to pretty much stop drilling there until the economics improve. So you got about $10 billion in debt. It makes sense to me if they were to sell the Hainesville assets, right? You're not pumping anything out of there right now. You have expressed a desire to move into more of an oil mix with natural gas, which is fine. You have tremendous potential in Texas in your gas access, in your oil assets, and you have the Marcellus Shell, which is the cheapest in the U.S., that you're, you're, just, you're pumping gas out at good rates. So why keep that asset when you could possibly sell it, pay off a lot of your debt, and increase your free cash flow date rapidly and as soon as that happens the stock price is going to is going to jump um i think the reason it's gone down is because i mean they have 80 percent of their oil production is hedged at 59 dollars a barrel and their gas is at three um and they have a significant chunk of next year's production hedged already so you know they're have decent visibility, especially in the oil assets, where they're going to be, what they're going to do. Um, they're getting great well savings, $600,000. That's one well they saved $2 million on. So, you know, the, the economics and the oil side of the company are there. Uh, this isn't a company that's um, struggling across the board. The oil assets are, are, are doing very, very well. And they are break even at under $40 a barrel of oil. Uh, they are free cash flow positive at under $40 a barrel. Um, and that looks to go even lower as they, as they bring more cost savings out of it. So, you know, they're going to hook up to a pipeline in the area. Right now they're trucking it. That's going to save their transportation costs, which is significant per barrel. Uh, we've gone through this in the past and we've talked about the need for Permian um, pipelines. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I guess I can come up with a, a string of reasons why I'm positive on the company and the only real negative is the debt finding a way to get that debt paid down um you know they took on a couple billion more in debt when they bought wild horse and i think that's what has caused the stock price to drop because of the, a, the dilution and b the extra debt and people are scared of the extra debt but at the same time on a quarter to quarter you know year to year basis that's turned out to be a very good acquisition simply because of the economics of it and the fact that that division is free cash flow positive right now substantially for the company. And that's a really good thing. So getting rid of the, I don't, you know, they're not going to sell any oil assets. It sounded like, you know, if you, if you read the call or listen to the call, it sounded like they have something working. You know, it, it sounded like, you know, he said, we're working on some things and we have nothing to report right now, but it sounded to me like some, there was an asset sell going to be announced soon, that they're just working out defit, details, crossing T's, dot and I's kind of thing, and you know they're going to announce it soon. And you know I'm sure we know any asset sell is going to go right to paying down the debt, which is that's a little strong. You know, they're at about $700 million a year right now in interest, interest expense. You know, paying that off... Um, a good chunk of that off would really, really um, 
jumpstart this free cash flow goal that they have. So, I mean, it's, it's a long-winded answer, but, um, you know, Lawler has done everything he has said he was going to do. You know, he's hit all the goals, and, you know, he says by year-end, you want to be a 35% oil mix, and they started in the teens, and now they're around 25 27%, so they'll hit the 35 by the end of the year. They're making smart economic decisions. They're not just still pumping out get natural gas just because they can pump it out. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. But, you know, until until there's a quarter where they take a big step back, um, they're progressing on that path. So, um, all right. So that's that. Let me not many questions at all this week. I got that one. Uh, another question is any update on the GSEs? Um, the only update I have is the Freddie Mac, former CEO. Uh, I, I put it on the blog the other day. Um, he um, discussed a meeting with Treasury right before he left in which Treasury said, you know, GSC reform is basically done. Um, and the whole point of his paper, it was a 17-page paper, it's really great, you should read it, was that, you know, we don't need to remake the GSEs. You know, for 80 years, the GSEs performed, performed perfectly. They really did. They did their job, they performed in good times, performed in bad times, and then what happened in the 2000s is, you know, they started wanting to make a little more money for managers, so they got in this interest rate arbitrage kind of thing, they went down the credit scale, obviously, and they got burned. And yes, we can argue and we can talk about, did they really get burned or were they just a backdoor bailout for the banks? I mean, you know, they were buying mortgages from the banks at 100% on the dollar that were selling on the open market for 65 cents on the dollar. And you can argue all day that, you know, they were put in a conservatorship and they didn't have to be because as we realized later on, most of the losses were non-cash losses, and they could have easily absorbed the actual losses that they had in the portfolio. Um, and that the simple reason they were put in a conservatorship, it was a way for um, Treasury and for FHA to bail out the banks. Right? They secured two hundred billion in funding from one hundred and eighty billion dollars in funding that funneled it to the banks. They bought the mortgages. They paid it off when everything got written back up. Blah 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 blah. It was one big pon—not Ponzi scheme. That's the word I want for it. It was just one big, another way to bail everyone out. So, it, it, but even in that scenario, the GSEs did their job, right? They were the lender of last resort. They were a buyer of last resort in times of trouble. And that's really what they were designed to do. So, you don't need to, you don't need to remake the entire system. All you need to do is make the small fixes and the things that got them in trouble. Right? Don't let them buy the no docs loans don't let them get involved in the cdl market don't let them do the interest arbitrage stuff just let them buy loans like they did for 80 years and did it to perfection so the whole point of his thing is that through administrative actions and the things they've done over the last jesus decade now since they put him in conservatorship although if we're being honest none of the real reform stuff started until 2011 2012 so it hasn't really been that long um have have solved those problems and have, have removed that risk from the GSEs. So, and, and what he said was, 
you know, recap and release can be done soon because we've already done the hard part. We've already done the, the redoing of the GSCs. Now, of course, Congress is going to have to approve and Congress will have to do something, right? Because they're not going to want to be left out of this and they're not going to, you know, not be involved somehow. So there'll be some dog and pony show. You know, there'll be hearings and whatever. Um, but the hard, the grunt work's done. Now it's just raising the money and, and IPOing a thing. So, you know, step, obviously step one is stopping the net worth sweep. Um, very, very hopeful that um, when this plan comes out in either August or September, that in conjunction with putting it out, they declare the net worth sweep paid in full. Hopefully, they eliminate the senior preferred stock and they refund the overpayment of what we would have paid out in the 10%. And that goes right to the GSEs to start recapitalizing them. I think by now it's probably $20 billion, $26 billion. So, I mean, that's that's what you're hoping happens. Um, I, you know, I just, it was nice to hear that the CEO of the company say that, right? He could have said, you know, Treasury hasn't got their act together. I mean, it could have been a whole lot of bad things he could have said, but it was actually probably the most positive thing you could have read on it. So that's that's the latest I have on that right now. So, um, you know, it's summer, time of year, it's slow. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. But um, I, there's, yeah, there's not a lot of questions. I'm sure most of you guys are on vacation this week anyway. So, um, so let's talk about American Apparel. So we bought American Apparel. Let's see if I can give you the exact date. It was at 50 cents a share. It was another restructuring. We bought it in December 2014. And this was this was a roller coaster ride from day one, right? So we bought it. Um, Dove Charney had 27% of the stock. Line Capital had warrants for 12% of the stock. And they had a loan outstanding in the company. Fast forward a little bit. Uh, Dove gets himself fired. And the drama starts. Um, for those who know who don't remember Dove Charney, he uh, <laughs> he ex- calling him eccentric would be a massive understatement, uh, but he is, and he um, created the brand, started the company, was CEO of the entire length of the company, but controversy surrounded him. You know, uh, there are reports of him. You know, there was video of him dancing naked in front of employees, uh, him holding sex parties in his office, and it was kind of like Sodom and Gomorrah there uh, at American Apparel. And for a while there, that gave the brand some cachet. The clothing of it was very sexually oriented. The advertising, you know, went right up to the line um, of being um, inappropriate versus, you know, I guess a lot of people said it was inappropriate, but the being soft porn versus being, you know, young kids in their underwear and things like that. And Dove's behaviors kind of gave the brand its, <coughs> I don't know, I don't know if the right word to use, not cachet. Or, um, yeah, it gave the brand its notoriety, I guess is the best word. So they got themselves in trouble. In 2013, they built this huge warehouse in California. 
and they want to move all their operations into this one place, and it was a complete and utter shit show. Um, cost them $14.9 million and huge out-of-pocket expense, and that really started the spiral that they are on. Obviously, they take out a loan for it. They drain their cash coffers, et cetera, et cetera. The company was not a all-star performer up until that point, but this made things a lot worse. So shares got down to 50 cents, and there was talk that they were going to go under, and this is really when the the drama started. Dove gets fired um, and replaced by a new CEO, and he's trying to get back in. The company launches an investigation of his firing. He sues the company to get his job back. Um, meanwhile, you know, results had up until this point had stabilized. Same store sales had been increasing, you know, year over year. The first quarter of Q4, we bought the stock, you know, everything was kind of flat, um, which was fine. Um, and they were talking about, you know, the money they were going to save with this new warehouse being open, cost savings they were already seeing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but then Dove is fired, new CEO comes in, and then results start to slide. Now, in conjunction with this, you had um, results sliding, Dove trying to get back in. You had Lion and Dove basically control almost half the stock. Um, they end up doing a rights offering to raise money, goes successful. Charney buys a huge chunk of it. He gets a loan from Standard Charter to, to do it. Standard Charter is also involved in Radio Shack, for whatever that's worth. Um, and he ends up with 43% of the stock, which he which he controls, but in order for Charter to give him the money to buy the stock, he had to give them his voting rights. So th now Dove has all this. He's trying to get himself back into the company. Remember, he's been fired. Standard Charter comes in, does all this. They end up paying off the Lion loan. Um, new CEO comes in. New board is devised. New CFO. And then within the company, you get this Team Dove thing that starts up. And everyone thinks that Dove Charney orchestrated it. And now results are going south. Because you've had three CEOs in a matter of, I think it was six, seven months. Two CFOs in the same time period. A new board. You have Dove out trying to get back in. Lawsuits flying. Accusations flying. Dove's in the paper all the time. Um, and people were distracted. right? You, you, you can't go through that time period. The brand still had some value. And in late 2014, buyout rumors started circulating in the company. And the shares went to like a buck fifty. A buck forty. So we'd have been up two hundred percent in our investment. But I held on thinking a buyout would be around two bucks. I thought for sure somebody was going to want it and buy it out. And I wanted to realize the extra part of the money. And at this time, this is, at this point, I kind of went ahead too far. When this Team Dove stuff started to come out. And there were blast anonymous emails being sent to employees. New CEO was screwing our coffee up. You know, this is awful. This is terrible, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and... The buyout offers never came. Results went south, and they ended up filing Chapter 11. So if I go back 
and I do the post-mortem on that, all right? Um, there was there was two there were two two separate issues with American Apparel. But one was the legal side, and one was the the apparel side. And I've I've done very well in these legal situations and in investing in the past. Um, you know, you say ACAS was one, Bank of America was another, GGP was another. Um, there's been a few um, way way back even with Altria. I owned that years and years ago. Uh, McDonald's with the Mag Cow stuff. I, I, I don't, for whatever reason, it, it, it's gone pretty well. And I got too fixated on the company winning the legal battles with Dove and kind of lost focus on the, what was happening inside the company. And, you know, the company eventually won, you know, in which we knew they would. But at the end of the day, it, was, it didn't matter because the company went under before they won. And I should have sold as soon as that Team Dove stuff started happening. Because I'm convinced that that scared away any potential buyers. That while the brand had, you know, still had some value, people thought they could make a run with it. Um, real, they didn't, no buyer wanted to buy Dove. He was toxic and... I can't even imagine in, you know, the atmosphere we're in today, it just, I, it, it, he wouldn't make it a week. Um, so no company wanted that. And understanding there was basically an uprising inside the company, a company that was struggling, you know, workers were striking and um, they were refusing to work and they were, you know, things just, it was just a complete shit show inside. Um, no one wanted to buy that. So, sorry, I need to drink some water. So I should have been very happy with my, you know, it would have been 100, 200, you know, 100% gain uh, and sold when those rumors came out instead of holding on for um, the extra value, assuming it would be bought out or that they would fix it. You know, there were several times during this ride that, you know, they said that bankruptcy filing was imminent. And I went through and I said, well, no, Lion's not going to force a Chapter 11 because Lion has more money tied up in the equity. They do the debt and they'll lose their shirt. And then when Standard Charter came in, I said, there's no way Standard Charter is going to force a Chapter 11 because they own 43% of the shares. And they had a huge investment in the company. And so... I was right several times along the way and I just lost focus at the end and I should have um, said, you know what? The situation's a mess and it's not just a mess financially. It's becoming a mess inside the company. And that was, that was the big one that I missed that um, I looked at it like Dove had some idiots in there or Dove was, you know, doing this himself instead of fully realizing that it was an actual uprising in the company and the company was going to be doomed because of it. Um, so I, I, you know, I, it, it's a very frustrating thing because we took what would have been a great investment. It would have, you know, would have been up, you know, 100, 200% in eight months um, and ended up being a big loser. So 
uh, that was a frustrating thing. And, you know, I think it, I think investments like that are most frustrating because they were preventable. It's one thing if you buy into a situation like that and it just goes south from day one because you can say, you know what, my, my thesis was just wrong. And, you know, that, that, that's okay. That happens. You know, I don't care who you are. Nobody, nobody hit, nobody bats a thousand investing. Everyone, you know, everyone is, everyone has a lot of mistakes, huge mistakes. Uh, but the ones that are the most frustrating are the ones that you took a winner, you took a thesis that you had, it was right, and you would have made a ton of money, but then the thesis was right, but then when the things decoupled from your thesis, because you had seen that early gain, and this is all the mental part of investing, you're like, well, someone was going to buy it a month ago, someone's going to buy it now, or someone's going to buy it now, and you and I didn't, oh, I saw, but didn't acknowledge maybe is the best word for it, other things happening that made the thesis no longer really valid, um, that changed what was happening. You know, when we went through GGP and the thesis paid out, yes, the stock was crazy. We had some, we had some, you know, 30, 40% drawdowns in the stock, but the company was always performing. You know, when we had ACAS, the company was always performing. Bank of America, the company was always performing. The stock price did what it did, and the news, the news is out, the news is out. Um, but they were always performing and hitting goals. American Apparel stopped performing, was got progressively worse, and the employees were basically rioting. Not, that's too strong of a word. There was dissension in the ranks. There you go. That's a better word for it. And that made that investment different than all those other ones that were very similar when we bought them and worked out spectacularly. You know, so now when I look at Chesapeake, Chesapeake's performing. There's no dissension in the company. They're improving metrics every single quarter. The stock price is going to do what it's going to do because people are thinking, oh, well, now we have an oil glut, right? So, it, you know, there's, there's perceptions or whatever that are out there. But the company's still performing, which is why I think it's still going to work out. American Apparel stopped performing. And now it's performing. It got, it got a little worse each quarter. And... I became overly focused on the entities that own stock and debt and would not be going to be inclined to put it into Chapter 11. And yes, they, I was right. They didn't want to. And that helped and that boosted the stock when things like that happened. But I did. I lost focus on the reality of the fact that the company kept going south and was eventually going to have to file for Chapter 11. So I think... You know, that was that was the biggest one on there. Um, so I think, yeah, so that's, I hope I explained that clear enough. So I, that's, you know, that that's where that one ended up. So it was, that was, that one, that one bothered me a lot because um, it was a completely self-inflicted wound, you know. It, it's, it wasn't like, you know. It wasn't like, you know, a new CEO come in and just completely turn things around and you're like, what the hell happened? What do you do? This is not, this was not the plan. This is not what's going on. Um, and, and no, it was just, I did it to myself. So, so that's, that's what I have for this week. I think I'm, 
probably around a half, yeah, 36 minutes. So um, there's no more questions. So uh, remember, if you get your questions in, um, I usually do this between noon and two. I'm a little late doing it this week. I apologize. But um, if you get your questions in um, early in the day, I can take care of it and get it on that week's podcast. So um, I hope everybody has a fantastic, uh, safe, and healthy weekend. And uh, hopefully next week's a little calmer in the markets. I know it's been a wild week, but I think maybe we just get Donald to stop tweeting. We'll be okay. So have a good one, everybody.